You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. For several weeks now, we have been in a series called Christ in the Old Testament. And our hope is that we would walk away realizing that all of God's Word is important. It is all there for a reason. And we have been looking at men of the Old Testament that give us a picture of Christ in the New Testament. We have looked at Abraham. We've looked at Adam. And we have even looked at Noah. And these are called types of Christ. And a type is a person or an event that God was using to foreshadow His coming Son. And we have been looking at these different types of Christ. Well, today we are going to look at probably the best type of Christ that we have. What I mean by best is that the one you are going to be reading and you're going to be seeing so many things that just jump off the page about how this man is a type of Christ. In fact, there are so many ways that he is similar. Some have said he was actually a manifestation of Christ during this time. We do not believe that. We believe he was an actual man that uh, was not divine as Jesus was, but he came and he lived. And we're going to look at this man, but he is unlike most people that we read about, and he is unlike most types that we see in the Old Testament. In fact, he's one of these guys that I learned the Old Testament by flannel graphs. And everybody had these little flannel graphs, and there were, there were pictures, there were Moses, and there was Jonah. There was not a, a flannel graph picture of this guy. He is not one that stared down a nine-foot giant. He didn't kill a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. Um, this was one that is unlike a lot of guys that we read about in the Old Testament. But he teaches us some very important things and some aspects about Jesus. Today we're going to look at a man called Melchizedek. One you may not have heard of, or if you have, you know very little. In fact, two weeks ago, I knew very little about this man, Melchizedek. He is a man that in Genesis 14, we have three verses... Then for a thousand years, we never hear anything else about Melchizedek till you get to uh, Psalm 110 where David mentions him. So for a thousand years, that's all we get. Then another thousand years goes by, and we see him once again in Hebrews 5, 6, and 7. But I want us to turn there if you're in Genesis 14 and Hebrews chapter 7. But I want to share with you a thought that I've been having lately and I've thought a lot about. And the question would go like this. Do you feel more or less like a Christian? I don't know if you're like me, but it seems like the, the longer I'm a Christian, the less I feel like one. Man, I would think, in fact, Christianity is so different than so many other things, but the longer you're a teacher or a coach, you... You, you begin talking like a, a coach and walking like a coach and you think like a coach and it just really becomes who you are or whatever it might be, doctors or bankers or whatever it might be, that the longer you are something, the more you feel like it. It just becomes so much more natural about who you are. But it seems like to me with Christianity that the longer I'm a Christian or the longer I claim to be one, it seems like the less I feel like 
one. Part of the problem is that I know that there is one called Satan that day and night still has access to the throne of God that accuses me of all the things I've done. He doesn't want anything to slip past God. According to Job, we could look at Joshua, we could even go to Revelation 12, we see where Satan is constantly saying, God, did you see what they just did? Did you, did you miss that? I, I've been taking note, God, he's standing there accusing me of all the things that I have done. And he's adding insult to injury. In fact, I, I'm seems like I'm, we should be pretty comfortable in this thought of feeling less like a Christian because I know Paul even had. You could turn to Romans chapter 7, and Paul lays it all out on the table. And he says, listen, I do the things that I know I shouldn't do, and, and I don't do the things that I know I should do. And, and he's caught us by, I think Paul's saying, man, it's like the longer I'm a Christian, the less I feel like it, because this thing that's going on that I can't seem to win. And so the longer that I'm a Christian, it seems like the less I feel like one. And what I want to do today, I want to show us how that actually can be a good thing. That the longer you're a Christian, the less you should feel like one. And I know what you're thinking, man, Mark has totally lost his mind. But I want you to hold on, and, and I think at the end I'll be able to kind of explain what I mean by that. So today I want to show us how this feeling less of a Christian can actually be a good thing. But then I want to show us, then what is our correct response? And how do we fight against and not get discouraged in that feeling. So let's begin and let's get to know O male. Genesis chapter 14. We'll pick up in verse 17. And this is what it says. After his return from the defeat of, uh, I have no idea what that means. We'll just call it Cheddarland. Close enough for me. Cheddarland. The kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavah, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought bread out and wine. So this is the part that we actually talked about a little bit last week. It's Abraham that went to rescue the people that had been captured in this battle because his nephew Lot was one of them. He puts together a, a, an army of his servants, and Abraham goes out and he defeats the, uh, the king of Cheddarland. And in Cheddarland, he, he redeems people, not only his nephew, but the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Salem were a part of this group that, that Abraham goes in and he saves. Well, we need to kind of learn a little bit about what was going on in these people. In the, in the Bible, so often we read there was great meanings about names, and names meant something. In fact, so often a name would foreshadow who somebody would become. And we see God changing people's names and giving them a new identity or setting them on a different course. We saw with Isaac meaning laughter. Well, the king of, king of Sodom, Bera, and the king of Salem, Melchizedek. And he meets these two different kings with two different names from two different countries. And they're going to come to him with two different motives and two different agendas. And Abraham is going to be faced with a big decision. So Barak, king of Sodom, in Genesis 19, it is Sodom that God is actually going to destroy for their wickedness. But Barak, the king, means, his name means gift. Sodom means burning. So hold on to that. Gift and burning. Melchizedek comes from the king of Salem. And it says that he was also a high priest 
but not of some pagan god. It says he was a high priest of God Most High. That was the divine name given to God. It was his formal name. Well, Kizedek means righteousness, and Salem means peace. Man, aren't you beginning to see the differences of these two kings? I want us to focus in on those. Look at verse 18 and to see two different offers. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was high priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, professor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything that he had. So Melchizedek is throwing this big feast because of the victory that they had. And Melchizedek invites Abraham in, and he blesses Abraham by giving him bread and wine from this festival. So when he blesses Abraham, it says that he blesses him by the professor of heaven and earth. And then because of this, Abraham turns around and gives him a tenth of everything that he had. And he's given a tenth to this Canaanite king. He is not an Israelite. He is not one from the lineage of Levi. But here we see Abraham giving him a tenth. Abraham is recognizing his position. And he offers Abraham bread and wine. And he also gives him a verbal blessing. So in some ways... Melchizedek blesses him with his hands, and he blesses him with his mouth. And notice that he gives victory to Abraham, and he recognizes that this victory came from the God Most High. And then as believers, we would say, that is what I want somebody to recognize. And I'm telling you, Drew, thank you so much, I mean, uh, for saying those things about me. And that's twice now in two weeks, um, so I'm going to have to come up with something good now. Uh, but man, the greatest thing that people could ever say is that anything that ever happens here at Bethel White House, that, that we would quickly say, but, but it was really God that is doing that. It's God that is moves in people's hearts. It's God that binds people together. And that's what Melchizedek does. He gives this praise back to God. So very different. Now watch the contrast of our King Bera of Sodom. Verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. So one, he never acknowledges the victory and the one that caused it. Second, the king of Sodom demands that Abraham give him the people of Sodom. Give me the people, but he says you can keep the goods for yourself. Very different agendas, very different kings that he is before. So now Abraham is faced with a choice. He's got two kings that make him two very different offers that represent two opposite ways of life. Both are offering him worth, and both are offering him validation. One simply offers him bread and wine as a blessing with his hands. And then he offers a blessing with his word. He acknowledges that God used Abraham to be a blessing to others. We're already seeing that fulfillment of the promise that God gave Abraham last week that you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those that bless you. He acknowledges that God used Abraham to bless others. 
The other is one of wickedness and selfish ambition. But he offers, actually, Abraham a great validation. Abraham has just rescued the king of Sodom and his country. In fact, he has no right, actually, to demand anything of Abraham. But he goes to him and he says, Bera, meaning gift, he offers Abraham everything but the people. You can keep all the things, but give me the people. Now, I don't know exactly why he did this, but everything was owed to Abraham. He is the one that rescued them. He is the one that risked everything. And he would own everything that he captured in the war. But Bera, meaning gift, tries to keep the people. Why is that? Why would he give Abraham all the, all the things but keep all the people? Well, I believe it was because Bera would be trying to keep the people eventually to come back and take what he felt was actually his. I can get more stuff, but I need the people. You know, Satan oftentimes will offer us empty bargains for our allegiance. And what we see here is that we see two ways of gaining uh, validation. One comes from trusting what God had promised and planned, and we see that in Melchizedek. The other one comes from what we can do ourselves, and that is in Sodom. One is from God, that would be Melchizedek. The other one comes from the world. One comes in the form of peace, meaning Salem, and righteousness, meaning Melchizedek. The other comes in the form of a gift, Bera, that will one day be burned up, Sodom. And we see that all throughout Scripture, that there are things of this world that are just going to pass away. So Abraham can either choose to live by the validation of the blessing from God or from the bribery of the world. Well, let's see what he chooses in 22 through 24. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to God, God most high, professor of heaven and earth, the one that owns it all, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should be able to say or so that you cannot say, I have made Abraham rich. Abraham wasn't willing to do anything that would ever put him in a position that people could say it was because of you I have been able to accomplish or I am where I am today. He says, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Meaning, I'm only going to take those that came with me and only what they have already eaten. That is the only thing I will take. So Abraham accepts the blessing from Melchizedek. And he refuses the empty gift from Sodom. So what is so unique about this man, Melchizedek? Why is he a type of Christ? Because remember, names mean something. And also, your family tree would mean everything to you. In fact, a family tree was so important because often it meant the difference between blessing or cursing. If you were to follow down through Abraham, you'll see eventually certain tribes were blessed and some were cursed. Oftentimes, your family tree would determine the occupation that you had. So we see Melchizedek, and he's got two things that are unique to him. In fact, we never see this in Scripture other than Jesus Christ. It says that Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. You never saw these two offices together. 
You never saw these two offices coming together. You never see, you know, somebody that was fulfilling one role and also meaning the role of another. You know, I was thinking back, I grew up watching, you know, uh, the uh, uh, lot of basketball with the Duke crazies. Can you imagine putting a Duke crazy and giving him a whistle and letting him referee the game? I mean, he just can't do it. He, he's so invested, he can't be impartial to the things that are going on on the field. You would never take a police officer and also let him be the judge. You, you can't put these two things together. But it says that Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. So I want you to hold on to that. It's going to be vital to seeing how is he a type of Christ. So I want you to turn to Hebrews 7, and we'll pick up with this man. There was a king, it was a high priest. He came before Abraham, and he offered this blessing. And Abraham even turned and blessed him in return. But on the way, I want to read um, just a few verses from Jeremiah 33 that's going to connect us from Genesis 14 to Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 7. Let me read it for us. If you are a Jew... You would be reading this, and you would be looking for two things. You're going to be looking for the Messiah. Here's what it says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promises that I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a branch to spring up from David. What was David? David was a king. And he shall execute justice and righteousness. And he's going to be the right king that upholds justice. And in those days of Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which the Lord called the Lord is our righteousness. He is the reigning king. He is the one of truth. Verse 17. For thus says the Lord, David will never lack a man to sit on his throne of the house of Israel. Meaning, you would be looking for the Messiah that is going to be a king that is going to reign forever. And a Levitical priest. A Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn gain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. So you're going to be looking for the king and you're going to be looking for a priest. So an Israelite would be looking for these two things. Someone from the tribe of David, from the tribe of Judah that would reign as king. And also someone from the tribe of Levi that would be the priest. And they're going to be looking for one to serve forever. So Melchizedek is the only one we see that is a king and a priest. Now let's turn to Hebrews 7. We'll pick back up with old Mel. Verse 1. It says, for this Melchizedek, the, that king of Salem, he says, do you remember him? The priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. And to him, Abraham uh, uh, gave a tenth of everything that he had. Abraham recognized him for this. And it says that he is first by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And then he also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is, too, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor of life, but resembling the Son of Man, he continues to be a priest forever. Because we're reading in Genesis, all of a sudden it's like Melchizedek just drops out of the sky. 
We have no idea where he came from. We never know his father. We never know his mother. We never even know anything about his death. And it's that this man just drops into Genesis 14. He has no beginning and he has no end. He has really no mother and he has really no father. He has no genealogy. This king Melchizedek, he is one that says he is a king and he's a priest. And Abraham shows him honor by giving him a tenth of everything that he had. He was honoring him as king of righteousness and peace. And all along when we read about him, this should make us think of someone else that has no beginning and he has no end. He comes from a place that no one knows. And he's going to a place that we have not seen. Because he's actually resembling a better king and a better priest. Look at verses 11 through 17. Skip forward a little bit. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the day of Aaron? For when there is a charge in the, a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. These became even more evident when another priest arises after the likeness of Melchizedek who had become a priest, not on the basis of the legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Because here's what's happened. During this time, people were trying to fill in the gap. They were trying to find validation for them to be right before God. And God puts in the Levitical priest system. It was someone that would go before God on behalf of the people, and He would validate them before God. They were looking for someone to go before God on their behalf and to give them worth. And it says that that system failed. It failed for several reasons. One, it says that a priest was always changing because a priest would die and another one would come in. It says that a priest would then change, and it was never consistent enough, meaning they would also have to make sacrifices for themselves before they ever got to the sacrifices of other people. And it says that they needed something greater. They needed a priest who would never die, who would never change, and one that would not have to make sacrifices for his own sins and could pay the price for their sins for all eternity. But... That's only half of the promise of fifteen, of Jer- Jeremiah 15. So we see in Melchizedek the priest, but Jesus is the only one that says that he is the forever priest from the tribe of Judah. Whoa, 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 what? He's the priest, but not from the tribe of Levi, but from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of David. So in Jesus, we have the perfect king and the perfect priest. But why does it matter? Why is that such a big deal? Because here's what a king does. A king is the lawgiver. The king is the protector. The king is the one that rules. 
a priest. A priest is that friend, that counselor, the one that can sympathize with his people. So what did a king do? A king represents God all the way to the people. And that's how the people know God is through this king. But a priest represents the people before God. And he goes before God on the people. So you and I need a king for truth and perspective. But we also need a priest for comfort. We might even say for tears. So what we need is we need a king that has unlimited power. Because he is one that is going to have to secure our salvation, not just for today. But he has got to be one that can secure our salvation for all eternity. But we also need a priest. We need a priest that can reconcile us for God, to God and can constantly intercede for us. So look at verses 18 and 19. For on one hand, the former commandment set aside because of its weakness and its uh, uselessness. So that old uh, sacrificial system is put to the side. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we can draw near to God. So if we can draw near to God, not through the sacrificial system, what is it? Well, it says that Jesus is the one that can come, that provides that acceptance and that validation that we can find in nothing that we do ourselves. There isn't enough good that you can do. There would not be enough sacrifices you could make. But Jesus is that priest that brings us to God. Let me read verse 20 to 22. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such an oath. But this is the, was one that was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. For you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant that is coming. So we have the protection from a king. We have the one that can constantly do that. But we also need the one that can intercede and make us right before God for all eternity. So Jesus is the king that brings us to God. But he's also the one that brings God to us. Let me just wrap up with the last three verses. The former priests, in verse 23, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is the only one it's the forever king that brings God to us and our forever priest that makes intercession for us. Before God, he stands and he is constantly interceding for us. So what I have to remind myself is that every time I know that Satan has access to that throne and I know that day is going to end, but every time he is standing there, did you see that, God? Did you see what that guy did that calls himself a Christian? Did you see what that guy that calls himself a pastor? Did you see that guy that tries to be... Did you see what he has done? And Jesus is there to intercept every one of those arrows that he tries to throw. And God says, yes, I did. But my son paid for that. 
And he is constantly interceding. So he saves us for all eternity. It says to the uttermost there isn't anything about me that God can't save. But he is also interceding for me. He is that perfect balance between that high priest and that high king. And I was wanting to see this. And I went back and I was reading somebody and it took me to that story of Jesus and Lazarus. And you remember that where Lazarus, one of his best friends, dies? And Jesus delays in going. And Lazarus has two sisters. He's got Mary and he's got Martha. And what I noticed is these two sisters come to Jesus and they say the exact same thing. But Jesus' response to them is absolutely different. He comes to them and they both come out and say these words to him. If you had been there in John 11, if you had been here, if you had been here, Jesus, my brother, he would not have died. And those are the words that come out of Mary and they come out of Martha. But you know what he says to Martha? He says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus says, do not fear, Martha. I am in control of everything. Mary. Mary says the same thing. She goes to him and she says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you know what Jesus says to Mary? He only asks her a question doesn't really say anything. He says, where have you laid him? And you know what it says? The scriptures, it says that Jesus did. It says he sat down with Mary and he wept. And we see in this story in John 11, the perfect forever king and the forever priest. Because you know what he does with Martha? He comes into Martha's life as the king. And what he does, he uh, pulls Martha's uh, perspective up to his. He allows her to see as he sees. He says, Martha, I know your eyes are blinded, but I am in the one that is in control. And he gives her as king a different perspective. He represents God the Father to Martha. But he comes with Mary as that forever priest. And he lowers his heart into Mary's feelings. He is feeling what she felt. Jesus suffered in loneliness and pain and abandonment so that he could relate to us and be sympathetic and he could be that caring priest. And in that story, we see him coming as the forever king and the forever priest. So how, how is feeling less of a Christian a good thing? And I want to close with that. So, Looking at Melchizedek, looking at how he was the forever king and he was the forever priest, wrapped up and together the one that Jesus comes to fulfill that perfectly. How is actually feeling less of a Christian a good thing? Well, perhaps. Perhaps you and I are actually getting a bigger and a clearer picture of who God is. Jesus, the forever king, could be showing you more and more of who he is and what he has done. 
maybe it's because I'm actually getting a bigger manifestation of who God is. So feeling less of a Christian could perhaps be you and I actually getting a bigger picture of who God is. You're actually seeing the king clearer. This is what is happening. Maybe I'm actually getting a better picture of who he is. And what happens is then I begin seeing my sin in a different light. And it's that all of a sudden I'm not taking my sin as as light as I used to. And I'm getting a better picture of his holiness and his beauty. But the important thing is what I do to make up that gap. When I see that king and I see him in his beauty and I see him as pure as he wholly is, and all of a sudden I'm feeling less and less of, of who he is, to be careful about how I try to fill that gap because I know it isn't by going and do something because that didn't work. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so important that we sing to each other is that we're reminding each other of what is true. So here's what we need. You and I need to go to God. In fact, we do this and we need somebody that can go to Him and actually make up that gap for us. So you need a high priest. There's only one forever king and forever priest and His name is Jesus. And the point of what we have been reading today is that you have a high priest that is able. You have one that cares. You have one that you can trust. You have one that will never leave or expire. You have one that can empathize with you. You have one that will intercede for you. And we have one that can save us to the uttermost to completion. So what we need to walk away with today is that Jesus is the absolutely only one that can bring God to you. He's the only one that can bring us to God. And in him we see that perfect picture of that forever king that can come to us and give us a different perspective. And he is also that forever priest that can simply sit and weep with us. So this next week, as you go about your life, know there is a king that is ruling, that sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is there protecting and He is holding your salvation for all eternity. But in Him you also have that perfect forever high priest that knows what you feel, that can relate to everything that you are feeling. And He is one that sits and can weep with you. And He is one that is interceding on your behalf before God. Because without Him we are hopeless. So Jesus is the only one that can bring God to you and the only one that can take you to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this obscure man that we see in Melchizedek. To be honest, I wasn't real excited to think about having to talk about a man that I knew little about. But there is so much in his life that you are using way back in the time of Abraham, to point to your son Jesus. That really all of Scripture, all of the Bible is really all about one whole story of redemption. It was about you creating a people that would turn away and completely rebel against you. But in that, you provided a plan. 
You provided a way for those rebellious people to be reconciled to you. And you were giving them pictures all along the way, leading up to the man of Jesus. That you came and you became one of us so that you could provide the perfect sacrifice. And it is him, the only one that could come as the right king and the perfect priest that we need. Father, oftentimes we try to make up that gap and we try to look for validation in a lot of ways and and we probably sway to the side of looking to that king of Sodom and saying, this is what will make me great. This is what will give me worth. Father, we realize that we need to be the one that accepts what you have seen, that you have done. So Father, it is in that one that sits at your right hand that is our forever king that brings you to us. And it is also in him that is our forever high priest, the only one that can bring us to you. And it is him that we serve, it is him that we love, and it's only by your spirit that we can do all of these things. And in them we say, Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.